Elizabeth uh, Caldwell, the Reverend Doctor, um, also known as Lib, and um, she is one of our award winners this year, should we have had an assembly for the Award for Excellence in Theological Education. Um, Professor Emerita of um, McCormick Theological Seminary, now visiting professor, teaching even now, I think. Um, yeah, starting August. At Vanderbilt. Um, Divinity, and I'm uh, just glad for you to have to be here. I'm Lee Henson Hasty. I'm the Senior Director of Theological Education Funds Development at the Presbyterian Foundation, working with the Committee on Theological Education, and it's an honor uh, to, to gather here with you. Um, last week, we had a wonderful conversation with our other awardee, Daryl Guter, and glad to have you here today, Lib, and, and around uh, in that special place um, with Daisy by your side. You're not alone your dog, right? And um, just thanks thanks for being here. Maybe you can just say hello. We'll see who, who is gathering with us. Hi, everyone. <laughs> um, I'm trying, I'm going to try to pull that up so I see uh, what is going on in the feed there. Here we go. It looks like Deborah Mullen. I may have just seen uh, if my, but uh, let's see here. I can get this so I can see a little bit going on here. And um, we are here to talk about when kids ask hard questions. Rebecca Mazzoli, who's a Presbyterian minister. Martha Shroud-Brown, uh, hello, glad to have you, um, and I'm sure others. Um, if you have questions or you have questions that kids ask that have been hard, put those in our comments. We'll try to get that into the conversation. Um, and um, today, and just glad to have you here. Um, as I said before, Lib has taught, uh, taught for many years at McCormick Theological Seminary. She didn't see that call coming. She was serving as a Christian educator and still, I think, working on your master's degree at PSCE at Presbyterian School of Christian Education. Is that right? Well, that, by that time, I was working on one at, at Vanderbilt. At know. Vanderbilt, okay. Yeah. And I went on to do her PhD at North, Northwestern um, in, at, with Garrett Theological Seminary on Mysterious Mantle, the biography of Hulda Niebuhr. And I have heard quoted, actually, a guest a few weeks ago, who you know, friend Jose Irizarry, was quoting mm -hmm. um, you, quoting Hulda Niebuhr. So um, kind of brings everything full circle. Also a graduate of Presbyterian School in Memphis, uh, where she grew up, Rhodes College. Um, has been very active in a, in a variety of ways in, in religious education. And most recently, we'll put a link to more information in her bio in the comments, but most recently with the read, as a readability editor with the Common English Bible, which I know my cohort of ministers, preachers, we just love. Uh, Ted Hebert, one of your colleagues who worked on it as well, um, was uh, turned us on to it, and it's just a, it's a wonderful translation and the most recent complete translation uh, of, uh, from the original languages. So uh, thanks for everything you've done and more, Lib, and thanks for being here. Um, maybe to start out, you could share a little bit about your call. Uh, often folks know, um, and I shared with you, I, I would ask something about what is making you come alive, because as Howard Thurman said, what we need is people who are coming alive. Uh, or as I think probably uh, a friend of yours, uh, or at least acquaintance, Katie Cannon would say, what is the work your soul has needed to have or continues to need to have? 
Uh, yeah, great. Those are those are all great quotes. Um, one of my favorite authors is um, Gail Godwin, and I was reading her book, um, The Finishing School, and in that, she t there's a story about an older woman and a teenage girl, and the older woman tells a teenage girl, um, there are all kinds of people, and you can look at a person, and you can just tell by looking at them whether they have congealed into their final selves. It might be a very nice self, but but you know, you can expect no more surprises. And then she tells her at the end, she said, you must be constantly on your guard against congealing mm. or gelling too soon. So um, what, what brings me joy? Um, what voices do I listen to? Uh, what must my soul have? And my soul must have space for um, creativity. Um, I never planned my life. I just kind of happened into religious education because I loved biblical study at Rhodes College. Just all of a sudden, I learned about eighth century prophets. Wow. I never, you know, you know how in youth ministry, at least in my church, all of a sudden the Old Testament drops out when you get to be a youth and it's all about Jesus all the time. And God knows <laughs> we love Jesus, right? Amen. <laughs> Amen. But the Old Testament just literally drops out and you get the get all the Pauline quotes. I mean, I have a memory bank because I grew up in a conservative church, a memory bank of all those verses I was required to remember. I get to a, an 8th century prophets class at, at what was then Southwestern at Memphis and all of a sudden, wow, I've never read these people. I've never read about mm -hmm. what Micah says. I've never met Hosea, you know, Isaiah, all that. And so I fell into this love of text. And then I thought, well, what do I want to do with my life? Well, I don't know, but Christian education seemed like a good choice. And I did a year at PSCE and I came back and did youth ministry. And then you just kind of keep on going. And then I had a wonderful chance at, in Florence and Sheffield, Alabama for 11 years to work with three churches. And so back to the original question, what must I have? No day was the same. So for me, if I'm not going to gel, then I need to be creative. I need to never do the same thing twice. I need to have each day is different. And that's what I did for 11 years. And then all of a sudden, somebody found me in a small church <laughs> in Alabama and called me. And I and think God found you. I think <laughs> God found me. I mean, I'm just minding my own business in my smallest church where on Wednesdays I got to go to lunch with Tempe Neff who was the 82-year-old church librarian, former school teacher. Mm. And that was what we did every Wednesday. And all of a sudden, the phone rings, and it's Tom Parker from McCormick saying, we have a position. And I said, well, I don't have an advanced degree yet. I'm still working on my master's. And he said, oh, it's okay. Come talk to us. I said, well, heck, I have nothing to lose. And I walked in for the interview thinking, oh, this is just, you know, nothing's going to happen here. Right. Elizabeth Schuschler Fiorenza was lecturing and I walked in and nobody noticed me. And I just went in and there was no room. So I sat on the floor and I sat there. I'd been reading her book. Wow. And, and she was Bread not, not Stone or what were you reading? Do you remember? Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember which one I was reading at the time. I just knew the name and I'd been reading her. I mean, because, <laughs> you know, you have to keep up when you live in a small right. town in Alabama. <laughs> And Kristen Sentry was one of my lifelines. And I read and I kept up and there she was in person. And wow. so the interview went well. And I thought, well, this was nice, but they'll never hire me. And Jack Stotts called me in 24 hours and they offered me a job. And, and then they said, it's a strange contract, but we'll give you a contract. But 
after two years of teaching, then you must start a doctorate because Bob Worley, um, who was the other, only other person I knew at McCormick said, as a woman in the field of religious, religious education, you must have this degree, you must. And so that's what I did. So 30 years of teaching at McCormick back to not gelling and being creative and never having to do the same thing twice um, and being able to create a syllabus like Hulda Niebuhr, Jose was talking about a few weeks ago. And I loved that. I loved that because he quoted her poem, The Warm Little Frictions of Home. If you can only imagine what little frictions of home there were in the Niebuhr family, they just <laughs> right. a few. And I won't even go into that. But um, she wrote a letter once and she said, I am not talking out of notebooks. I am not talking out of yellowed pages. I'm talking about her own teaching with the students at McCormick. Yeah because I've come to years of experience and knowledge. And so I never wanted to speak from yellowed pages out of a right. notebook, but that every class I taught would be, what new book am I gonna use? Cause I had to use a new book every time I taught a class because I have to be fresh. So long answer. That's no, it's beautiful. And I think it's, it's, it's encouraging. I mean, call is, I mean, we're, we're, we, that is affirmed in our baptism, right? But it's, exactly. it's something that continues, you know, um, and I feel like it's so important uh, that question. It's been important for me too. My doctor of ministry work at, at McCormick was along these lines is, I mean, God is sort of never done with us. And how, how can I help you profess Jesus Christ as Lord today, you know, and tomorrow? And, right. and, and your and ministry does that, I know. There was this, there's this great book, if nobody, if y'all haven't seen this book called um, Callings um, by Kathleen Callahan and Bonnie Miller McLemore calling yes. on Christian vocation throughout life's seasons. And what I love about the book is that everybody has a call and exactly right what you were talking about is your baptism and children, teenagers, mm -hmm. young adults, middle-aged, and every t if we live out our baptism, which is, of course, as we believe, is never complete until we take our last breath and right. we mark on our forehead, your baptism is complete. But until then, we're always living on our call. So it's not that when you retire that you stop, but you, right. find, you find a new call, a new way, mm -hmm. a new way to be involved in, in the justice work and the hard work and the ministry. Well, and um, it starts with... Good questions, right? And uh, that's part of why we're here. And and so when those kids are asking those questions that may be hard, may be difficult, that actually is probably a gift from God too, right? It's an opportunity to to share. So when kids ask those questions like, well, where is God? Or how do I talk to God? Or, you know, my daughter is like, is there a God? Really? How do you know there is a God? When they ask those questions, that's an opportunity, not just in the church building, which we aren't now, right? And a lot of your ministry has been how to make the household uh, a home for faith. Um, that's an opportunity for parents and families to really grow as Christian people, as people of faith. So what, what do you do when people, or what do you say to folks when um, the kids are asking those hard questions? Well, first of all, take a breath. <laughs> right. I, I wrote, a, I wrote in, the, in Making a Home for Faith, and it's so funny that I was, you know, asking parents to be the faith educators that we know they can be, and now they have to be. Right. And now they have to be, because unless they just want to, you know, 
you know, being on, I had their kids on a screen all the time. They are the faith educators and I think parents are wearing out because I don't think they know how to do that. But back to questions, um, um, I talk about, I think about the questions that leave us speechless. Mm. So if they leave you speechless, that means you haven't thought about it yourself. So where does God live? So I'd almost like to reframe the question instead of what, when kids ask hard questions, what about when adults don't? Oh, wow. What about when adults don't ask hard questions? And so then if they don't ask the questions themselves, then how can they answer it for their child if they've never thought about? Mm -hmm. So where does God live is a great question and you answer it very differently or you think about it very differently, let's say with a three-year-old. Right. Than you do with uh, your daughter is how old? Um, 14, right. 14. Mm -hmm. So you think about developmentally where they are, and three-year-olds have that wonderful mystery and, and awe of God, and God can be so, so, so big. And then they, things get narrowed in, as they enter elementary school, and there's more black and white and concrete. And then you get to be a teenager and adolescence. All of a sudden, you've got analytical thinking, and it opens right. <laughs> it gets that big. And God bless those questions, and that's what confirmation should be. Right. Asking their questions and struggling with them, and the confirmation people should be those people who are okay with questions because mm -hmm. it might not be black and white mm -hmm. answers. Mm -hmm. It might be saying, mm -hmm. well, um, what do you think? <laughs> to quote one more of my icons, my icons, personal icons, Sarah Little. Oh, yes. That's why I went to PSCE was to study with Sarah Little, which I did. And I remember Jack Stotts and I, I was president of McCormick when I went and then went on to Austin. We both we were at the same conference and she was teaching. He said, where are you going? I said, well, I'm going to hear Sarah. He said, well, I am too. Well, let's go together. So, you know, people would, and here she was at the end of her career and they were throwing out their questions and she would look at them and she would say, well, I have some thoughts about that, but what about you? <laughs> what about you? <laughs> and she would just stop and she refused to be the answer giver. Beautiful. And she could. So with parents with difficult questions, you stop and you pause. You don't let it just throw you, but you say, well, let's wonder about this together. And maybe, and, and I started writing about that because it was the Bible questions, you know. Mm -hmm. But now with the culture in which we're living, I mean, you think about the questions that they might ask. Well, well, why did that happen, you know, to Brianna? Uh, why did that happen um, to George Floyd? You mean the hard questions because they're not protected from lots right. of moods. And then you've got to think about, well, what do you, what do I really think about race? Mm. What am I doing? What am I teaching? What am I reading with my children? So mm -hmm. I think the hard questions force us to think about what we really think about these things. And if you've never thought about why there are two creation stories, for example, or why Genesis 11, 1 to 9, um, the story of the Tower of Babel in the new translation that you mentioned in the Common English Bible by Ted Hebert, why that difference is no longer a punishment, but part of God's big plan. How do you you know, well, if God intended us to live together, why can't we would be a kid's question. Why is it so hard? That's beautiful. Um, by the way, I want to let you know that Catherine Handy Smith, Hunter Farrell, Laura Mendenhall, Carol Warheim, uh, Bill Marie Citrono Vieri, one of our co-moderators is with us. Hello. Um, and we have a question from one of the pastors, Rebecca, who is saying along these lines, 
Um, how do you invite the, those parents, especially, to be that kind of, I'll, I'll, I'll say, non-anxious presence and willing to ask? So how, do you, how do you invite them or, or orient them into that kind of um, way of living? Um, do you have any encouragement there? How pastors can help? Because there are a lot of pastors who are watching sure. and other um, church leaders. So I think one of the things you can help parents learn to do, whether you're a pastor or an educator, is, is just some very basic things. For one, for one is um, help them listen to their child and mm. what is the child really asking. So are they asking for information? Mm. Sometimes there is information they're asking for. But uh, sometimes um, is there a question, is it an analytical, is it an analytical, the why questions? Or is it a question that grows out of a particular experience that happens mm -hmm. to them? And then they, then they ask you, I mean, uh, one time we were in DC at, at a museum and with my sister and her boys and my nephews and, and the oldest saw somebody asking for money outside and, and he at, turned to his mother and said, can I have some money, which she gave him to give to him. He wanted to give money to the mm -hmm. homeless guy. And then mm -hmm. when he walks in the museum, he says, why is he homeless? Right. She looks at me, I look at her, and I think, oh, I just teach people how to do this. You have to live with them. It's not my job. You're the parent. I just have to teach people, you know, and we laugh. And, but those kind of questions that, that come, and you might not be ready, but then you've got to be ready. You've got to be able to talk about then. So the experiential questions that, that happens. So why are people homeless? Well, you, how much do you go into? Well, it depends on how, what age level they are. Right, it's, it's developmental. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then, and then another kind of question is when they wonder about the mystery of God, like that question of your daughter, where does God live? Or the question of a three-year-old, um, how, how come I can't see God? So right. I think to be a non-anxious present to help parents is they've got to be comfortable with their own questions. And they've also... I really think some practices of faith, are they doing anything that mm. their own spiritual formation? And we, we send kids to church school and we take them to choir because we want them to be spiritually formed, but are we doing the same thing for ourselves? Do we have a life of prayer? Do we have a life? Do we talk about mm -hmm. how our faith is lived in the world with the service that we're doing, the witness of our lives? Do we talk about that? Because they watch us. They know everything right. we do. Well, it sounds like, I mean, also modeling, I mean, around the dinner table yes. um, where you get, or when you're, you're out, when you walk by the homeless person, I mean, maybe they don't ask the question, but you get into the museum and say, would you like to, would you like to talk about that yes. person who doesn't, that person doesn't have a home, you know, being, being able, modeling, asking those kind of questions. I remember one time, of course I live with, um, a PhD in theology and you know yeah. I work in theological education I remember our son he was about 10 he said can we talk about anything other than theology <laughs> <laughs> and my and, and Elizabeth and I were like how do you do that <laughs> you know? but I mean I'm not sure we're not experts by any means but I, I hear what you're saying is is in inviting them and giving them space mm -hmm. on modeling as pastors or whatever to, to ask those questions and uh, is would be probably helpful. There's a great book um, that came out last year when kids ask hard questions. You know, okay. Titled this, and, and, I, and I said, you know, there is a book by that title by to, uh, Bromley McClinahan and Karen Ware Jackson, and it's faith-filled responses for tough topics. And they talk about develop, uh, and it's an edited book, so there are lots of people writing, but um, uh, a culture of family conversation. 
Mm -hmm. So you mentioned the dinner table. Is there any kind of ritual repetition that is going mm -hmm. on? Like, like at the dinner table, like we talked about the examine, you know, where did you see mm -hmm. God's love today? Where did you give God's love today? Or, mm -hmm. or, um, I was doing chapel with, um, the children at Westminster last fall. We have a chapel before they go to church school on Sunday mornings and, and, um, thorns, roses, and blossoms, you know, thorns, the difficult part of the day blossoms are the things you're looking forward to and the roses, uh, thorns, roses, uh, roses are the good things and blossoms are things you're looking forward to. And is there any kind of ritual of, um, that you're doing right. that, and the more you do that kind of thing, then that's not just for children. We think, right. but it, right. it really is, is forming for adults just to think about their day too. And everybody gets to share. Right. We, you know, in youth group, we used to do yums and yucks and highs and lows yeah, and yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I like the, I like that thorn and blossom, rose. rose and blossom. I like that. Or texture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's possibility. I mean, it feels like there's possibility. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, so that's, a, that's a spiritual practice. And I think I, I'm not sure because parents have so relied on the church to do faith formation for them so right? They, because they're afraid to, because I don't know how they don't want to make a mistake. Right. So it's just some simple things you're doing. Um, one family I talked with when I was teaching um, last fall at my sister's church, Grace Presbyterian in Tuscaloosa. And I was working with families for a couple of weeks and um this family talked about how their kids would come in, their teenagers, and just unload middle school, unload. They had so much to unload. It was just like, mm -hmm. I couldn't even, they just had to walk in the door. And the wise parents realized that they just had a lot going on that they needed to unpack. So they had journals and they were used to journaling. Mm -hmm. So they knew they come in, get a snack, get a drink, and they work on their journals, mm -hmm. unpacking the day, everything right. that had happened. And then they they're transparent about it and the mm -hmm. parents then said uh, they we were allowed to read their journals and then over the dinner table they could talk about it right yeah <sighs> this is not some magic i mean it's it's those kind of rituals i'm thinking actually you know we've been, we during this covid time we've been doing yoga uh, and it's a time to kind of center. I mean, yes, yeah. whatever kind of works with that child or your family, but to find the rituals. I love the prayer of examine, like, you know, looking back through the day, where, where did you see God operating? Or, or if, if they're not ready for that question, just right. what, what was something that was encouraging or, and what was something discouraging? And right. there's so much right now <laughs> to yeah. debrief. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, uh, we can't, the news doesn't stop and a lot of really um, scary, uh, discouraging news, unfortunately. Um, uh, it's, 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 it, those maybe needed more than ever. This is a great time to start, right? Right. right. I mean, y'all like to do yoga. I mean, it, you're right. Families need to find something that they can do together. Like if it's walking or if it's hiking or mm -hmm. if it's, if, if there's a family that loves to do music together, you can still do music together. You can play your instruments, you can sing, you can, or there's as art family, or there's a family that's drama. I mean, everybody has seen stuff on Facebook, like with a family that had, God knows where they got all those costumes. Have you seen that one where they dress up in a costume? Yeah. I mean, like who has that many costumes in your house? But you know, they, that's them and they love it. Uh, you know, 
Um, you know, I'm thinking about the simple prayer forms. You know, we talk about acts of appropriation, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, you know, but, but um, Gelman and Hartman, the, 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 the rabbi and the Monsignor talked about thanks, gimme, wow. Yes. And oops. Oops. <laughs> thanks, gimme, wow, and oops. And so, you know, and not to impose stuff, but, but they're just, what's our thank you prayer today? What's our oops? Right, right. What's our wow? I mean, I just walked in my park this morning. I, I do an hour walk there, try to do it every other day in my park. And there's so many wow prayers. And, right. Um, yeah. Thank you prayers. Right. Yeah. You know, um, it's getting close to our time, but I, I wanted to say one thing, because I know every time I talk about you uh, with anybody else, they talk about how, how you make the space for learning, create a space that you, you come into your classroom, especially. Mm -hmm. um, and I just wonder if you want to say something about that. And maybe that has something to teach us. Uh, and, and, and maybe even in homes where you're paying attention to what is in the room, even, sure. or it, and I'm sure that's not just physical space that they're talking about, but what is it that informs your, it's a, it's a pedagogy, I guess. Yeah, it is. Um, so when my baby sister, Kathy Hoop was, um, was, was very small, she was born when I, I was 14 when she was born. And so my mother taught Sunday school and it was a shared space. So Saturday morning we'd pack up Kathy and we would go to her room to turn it into a three-year-old classroom. And she would get there on Saturday morning to get it ready. And so we'd have the housekeeping center, the book center, the puzzle center, the nature center, the Bible center, and we would set it up. So when I get to McCormick and I, um, I told the registrar I needed to get in my classroom an hour ahead of time, and we were renting at that time classroom space from the Lutheran School of Theology because McCormick only owned one building. Right. We'd moved from the north side, only one. And so she said, well, why do you need that? I said, well, I've got to get my room set up. <laughs> what do you mean you've got to get your room set up? I said, well, my mother always said when the first learning begins, when the first person walks in the room, mm. she would tell me, no, Lib, when you put the pictures out, remember you're putting them at a three-year-old eye level, not yours, so make sure they're really low. And she said, you know, you want the room to invite people that something is going to happen here. Yeah, so, to inspire I, the wonder, right? Yeah, exactly. And so when I was looking at the bare walls, <laughs> I can't even begin to describe how bare they were of the bare walls. And I had to do something that would make the room look like something was going to happen here. So cloth works for me. Cloth, always a vase of flowers or a plant. Um, uh, rearrange the chairs, of course, in honor of Sarah Little, who always rearranged the classroom yeah. or used trap tables. Um, make it look like so when you walk in, something is going to happen. Because if I teach that way, then maybe when they educators and pastors go out, they'll think about their space. So, right. so when you're preparing for worship in your home and you're doing it on screen, you're preparing a space. So my sister invites, um, prepare your worship space, a candle and yeah. her church members are doing incredible things, you know, preparing their space and then posting a picture of what they did oh, like yeah. icons on Trinity Sunday. And, and it, but you have to invite people to right. think about that. What that's, that is beautiful. I mean, this is the way I feel, and I felt this every week, but maybe especially today, is I want to talk like another hour <laughs> with you, yeah, and I'm sure everybody yeah. else does too. Um, and um, but feel, please get to know um, uh, 
Elizabeth Caldwell's work. Thank you for this time. Maybe we may have to schedule some more time um, to do some more conversation. I'm just, we're just so grateful for you and the um, looking forward to physically awarding you with the Award for Excellence in Theological Education. Um, that's moved on the docket in the business to 2022, but we're celebrating it right now. And we're, we're so grateful um, for, for your witness that has continues to influence generations and uh, just each of your students and those who've been their students. I know I've been influenced here. I'm at Montreat and I'm just thinking all the people here around Montreat who taught me uh, some things that I, I feel like they learned from you. I'm just thinking about right now and just so grateful for you. Um, and for this, for this time together. I wonder if you could close us uh, with uh, a charge, a benediction. Um, there's faith leaders. I was seeing Hunter Farrell. Who else? Uh, uh, Kathy Hoop, your sister is here. Uh, Margaret Ann Crane, uh, Erica Harley, Jack Seymour. There's some of your friends, mm -hmm. Dale Jackson. There's many who are out there watching. What, how would you charge and bless them today? Sure. Um we have much work to do in this world. Um, we have much work to do with justice, with mercy, with kindness. We have much work to do to, in Jewish tradition, tikkun olam, to repair the world. So as my friend Laura Heifetz always reminds me, we do this work together. We're not alone. And I'll close with my sister's favorite um, <laughs> benediction if I can get through it, um, as she, she's been doing this every Sunday as she, in, in Zoom worship, and it's her favorite, and she, it's, she's taught it to me to be my favorite. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. God's mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is God's faithfulness. Go in peace. Serve the Lord. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. And thank you so much. I just can't thank you enough that uh, we were talking some weeks ago and I wonder if online you can create those moments, but you just did um, where, where it's a thin place. Mm -hmm.